Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicke and on each episode of this show we look at one of the classics and joining me to look at such a classic this week, let's be honest, it's a couple of classic guests. It's Matt Stewart and Cass Page. Hey Book Chuck, good to see you. I've got to say guys, uh, the name hasn't taken off as much as I'd hoped. None of my other guests have had the respect to call me oh, the Book Chuck. But you are the Book Chuck. But you are the you are the book chook. That's insane. Yeah. What are they calling you? Mostly Dave. It's weird. it's really offensive. I don't even know what that means. Huh. I that that doesn't make sense. I don't understand what part of the book is the Dave. Yeah. It doesn't even rhyme. There's no rhyme at all. No. No. Book chook. Huh. That's Thank what you. you are. You're the book chook. <laughs> the book 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 chook. <laughs> Well, it's only been a few episodes since uh, since we were all together when we talked about Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, uh, yes. Dickheads unite. Uh, Where my dickheads are. <laughs> the dickheads are back <laughs> in the studio. Uh, have, you, have you been reading at all, either of you? Uh, I continue to read via uh, Audible books. Oh, fantastic. Uh, at the moment, I'm listening to a Leonard Cohen autobiography called I'm Your Man. It's, I think it's maybe it's one of the sort of... Uh, definitive autobiographies of Cohen. I think there's been a few and I'm sort of, I'm into it. I'm just getting to the point where he's starting into music. He's had a whole career in poetry already. Right. Got a wild wow. life. So it's, he started relatively late in music. I think he, he released his first album in his thirties. So there's still time. Well, there's yeah. still, still time for there us. There is still time. I can do it. And I, cause I have spent the last 15 years as a professional poet. So that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> but you, Step one done. <laughs> have you have released albums, haven't you, Dave? Uh, in, in musical bands, actually, in musical, in, yeah, musical bands. <laughs> musical yes. bands. So I'm going to do the reverse. In my 30s, I'll release my first poetry album. Thank That's you. what I meant to say. Yeah, great. The one wild thing that I, uh, when it, when he was a child, apparently he got a book about hypnotism and he hypnotized the family maid into undressing herself in front of him. It's like, what? <laughs> when he was a child. Isn't that the weirdest thing? So this is in like the 1930s. <laughs> Well, I mean, his voice is hypnotising. Leonard. Isn't that a bizarre... I imagine that he sounded like that even as a child. But imagine, like, I mean, how much do you believe in hypnotism, but a child who's just read a book about it, are you going to let... I don't... Yeah, it just... It just... That sounds like something happened and some recontextualising happened. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. That... That doesn't sound good, right? Oh, this child hypnotized the maid, and that's why she undressed in front of right, him. Right, yes. 
There's no non-weird way for that story to be true. Yes. So apologies for starting this podcast on that (laughs) foot. I mean, there were much happier things throughout the book as well so far. Does he have that as a fond memory of his? It's not an autobiography, so... Oh, okay. um, Okay. Yeah. So is this written... Did the maid write this? (laughs) Yeah, it's written by the maid. The the butler did it. (laughs) And by butler, I mean the maid. And by did it, I mean wrote the book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've learned a lot there about Leonard Cohen. How about you, Cass? Have you been uh, reading anything in our quarantine times? No, I haven't even been reading the things that the characters on Animal Crossing tell me. They bore me and I don't read anything skip, skip, and then skip. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I keep getting to faces in Animal Crossing and I'm like, oh, I don't care about what they've told me. I just want to catch bugs, but now I don't know how to move forward in the game so I can catch further well, bugs. I am moving house next week, though, and I've started um, moving all my books to like the new place. And I did keep Slaughterhouse Five, oh, cool. so that I could potentially read that this week. Oh, fantastic! Well, people often request that I do a bit of. Uh, That's Kurt the last yeah. book that I physically read with my eyes. Oh my <laughs> god, we all have so much in common. As opposed to reading with your hands. I like your cover though, Cass. That's um, it's a it probably it feels more fitting. Mine's so colourful and cartoony. Uh, mine. I'll just give a, a description <laughs> for all you podheads book. Book chooks. Oh, they are eggs. Yes. Are they your eggs, they Dave? Are the eggs of the podcast. Dave <gasps> laid his listeners <laughs> you, after hypnotizing do, them. It's actually oh, pretty awful. I will not let them be cracked. <laughs> oh, scrambled. Um, it's it's a black cover. In the top right hand corner, it says Vintage Vonnegut, and then it just has the number five. It looks a bit amber, and there are. It looks like amber with some toy soldiers suspended in it. Wow. What does it all mean? It means- I mean, I'm, I imagine it makes sense if I read it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a book about toy soldiers and who are trapped in a Amber 5. It's what um, Eminem based his song Toy Soldiers yeah. on. <laughs> and the Amber is played by Tiffany Amber Thiessen, heartthrob from the 90s. <laughs> oh, wow. Some for everyone in this book then. <laughs> well, Star of Saved by the Bell, I think. <laughs> Well, the book that I am going to tell you about this week is the one that I've been reading over the last uh, couple of weeks, and that is Things Fall Apart by Nigerian author Chinua Achebe. Oh, cool. I've heard of this book, but I couldn't tell you a thing about it. How about you, Cass? You know this book? I haven't even heard of it. I've heard of things falling apart generally, (laughs) but never within the confines of paper. Well, this is where it started, Cass. Uh, The concept of things falling apart began here. I love hearing about the origins of an archetype. Yeah, that's right. Let's go. When it first came out, people were like, what does that even mean? <laughs> it's just jumble of words. <laughs> I've heard of coming together, but I never thought there was a step beyond that. Yeah, yeah. John Lennon came up with coming together, even though the song coming, Come Together was ripped off of a Chuck Berry song. <laughs> yeah. Any, anyway, we digress. <sighs> well, things fall apart uh, for you guys, if you don't know much about it, and for anyone who... It's unfamiliar, as I certainly was before it was uh, suggested to me. It's a novel written by Nigerian author Chinua Achebe, first published in 1958. It was his debut novel and has gone on to sell some 30 million copies. Wow, that's a lot. And this is his biggest novel? Definitely his biggest novel. It's often listed as the most widely read book in modern African literature. Right. So he's like a giant of African literature. But is, and this is kind of common, isn't it? that the debut novel is is sometimes or often the biggest work. That must be kind of frustrating for authors who would must think that they they improve 
their yeah, skills improve right. as they well, go along. If the first one went this well, my next ma- one's going to be my masterpiece, but this is seen as his masterpiece. Yeah. Right. Um, a few people requested I do uh, or talk about things fall apart after I covered Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which is also set in Africa, but is told from a European's perspective. I watched a film recently, actually did an episode on um, Primates about this film, King Kong. Don't know if you guys have heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Jackson's version uh, of it. Yeah. But one of the characters in it was reading Heart of Darkness through the film. One of the crew members on the ship going out to Skull Island was reading Heart of Darkness, ah. which I did not understand the significance of that at all. But um, Well, yeah, so in Heart of Darkness, it's about a European uh, steamboat captain right. going through up the Congo River okay. on so, a steamship. Yeah, so that's what a pretty clear parallel yeah. there. Ah. <laughs> but Achebe, the Congo. The King Congo? Yeah, yeah that's right. But the author we're talking about today, Achebe, gave a lecture called An Image of Africa, Racism in Conrad's Heart of Darkness in 1975. And he's pretty critical of that work because uh, we hear of many African characters in Heart of Darkness, but we never hear from them. So rather than just how they appear to the European man. So the writer Conrad, he was in a way writing from his own perspective because he actually was a steamboat captain in Africa. Ah, gotcha. Did he write from Europeans' perspective? Just to really rub it in, like, this is how you do it, mate. You can write from other people's perspectives, you dildo. (laughs) (laughs) I think I I tried to soften dickhead. (laughs) I've already said dickhead a few times on this podcast. I don't know, I tried to censor myself. Oh, dear. You dildo. No, that's that's good. So I want to uh, read you a quote from Cliff Notes because when I was doing research on this, this quote came up and I was like, this really describes it. When Things Fall Apart was first published, Achebe announced that one of his purposes was to present a complex, dynamic society to a Western audience who perceived African society as primitive, simple and backward. Right. Right. And uh, t- to go back to my own writing here, the novel is purposefully written in English with the aim of Western audiences reading the novel to hear about an African society from a fully formed African perspective, which is not what you read when you... Get Heart of Darkness. Yeah. <laughs> Very different perspectives. Yeah, and the title comes from a uh, a poem by an Irish writer, actually, uh, W.B. Yeats, William Butler Yeats, which is ris- uh, listed before the novel starts, uh, called The Second Coming. And it is, turning and turning in the widening gyre, the, wo- uh, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosened upon the world. Yeah, right, that's beautiful. Mm. Beautifully written there. Leonard Cohen would be proud of that one. <laughs> Not enough <laughs> hypnotism for my life, I, I probably say this every time I come on, but I actually minored in literature and possibly never read a book in its entirety during oh, that course. No. But they definitely talked about things fall apart in that course and they referenced it a lot. And so I'd love to take the knowledge I learned today and then jump in a time machine and go back and just drop a few big facts on my lecture. Oh, yeah, it's an interesting perspective, but I think you'll find <laughs> I've always wanted to do it. <laughs> but I think you'll find I'm actually... I'm actually... <laughs> Real high-pitched. Oh, my God. to lean into it. Oh, my God, he's right. Lean with your forehead. <laughs> Tuck the chin in. I'm actually... I'm missing you. Oh, that's... The professor lowers their glasses. Either that is the sickest cat I've ever heard or this is the smartest man in the world. It can't be both. <laughs> so Things Fall Apart, it's, it's in three parts. Part one is uh, basically the first half of the novel in terms of page length. 
This is a, this is the same with the Charles Dickens, yeah. isn't it? It's the same as Tale of Two Cities. The parts aren't divvied up evenly. No, you got to you got to take time to set the scene, and then you can race through part two. No one cares about part two, and then bring it home with part three. <laughs> right. We all, we want to leave home and get home. No one cares what happens when we're out. Yeah, I mean, we, a story's we, nothing. The middle is nothing. The, that's the worst part of a story. Oh no! Let's spend more time on the plateau. <laughs> Oh, the conflict? (laughs) That's every day. We're here to escape. (laughs) What about the part where uh, presumably it all falls apart? That's on the last page. All comes... Oh, yeah. Yeah, is the the falling apart, I I can only assume... Actually, no, I'm not going to assume... Are we t- okay, Matt, you haven't read this book you can either. Make some guesses if you like. The last page is going to be um, they realised there were no longer little women. They were falling <laughs> apart. <laughs> well, do we reckon the falling apart's going to be the end or the start? Oh. Like, are things going to come good? Oh, yeah, I wonder. Jeez, can't wait to find out. Cause so, so there's a boat in this? Hopefully the boat doesn't fall apart. I'm afraid there are no boats in this one. No boats. Okay. Well, that's oh, confusing. Hmm. I thought all books yeah. had boats in them. <laughs> <laughs> You've read one book. The B in book stands for boat. Yes. <laughs> boat orc. <laughs> all right. Well, part one starts with this. I always read the opening line of any book, and here it is. <laughs> when I'm reading, I'm in on the show. <laughs> when I'm reading, I do genuinely. It's a little trick I so, do. Yeah. I read it, and then I think about Life hack, guys. <laughs> You want to get the most out of your books? Read the opening lines. <laughs> Usually the author put them in there to set the scene. Yeah. Then you skip ahead. Yeah. However however many pages you like, read another line. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just read the first and the last line. And as I said, the middle, who cares? Yeah. Well, then you read between the lines. <laughs> the first and the second line. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the opening line is, Oconquo was well known throughout the nine villages and beyond. His fame rested on solid personal achievements. Thus begins things fall apart. We've just met our main character, Okonkwo, fantastic name, a famous warrior living in Umuofia, a collection of nine Igbo villages in lower Nigeria at the end of the 19th century. And Okonkwo lives in the Aguido village. Gotcha. Okay. And he's he's an interesting character. He first gained fame for himself and brought honour to his village by defeating Amalinzi the Cat in a wrestling match, who is... The An nick- actual cat? No, it's the nickname of another man. Okay. Oh, okay. I what, what? It could have been a cat. Yeah, is that a good name for a wrestler? Like scaredy cat? What do you think of when you think of cats? No, slinky oh, and slinky able to like, manoeuvre and fast. That's right. And also... Cats are good hunters. Africa's the land of the great cats, you know? Right. Well, the tigers mm. are actually the largest cats, so... Well, if you round up the, the, the next five... <laughs> I think actually maybe the largest cat is the liger, uh... Father lion, mother tiger, and for some reason them combined becomes bigger than a tiger. Well, someone told me that recently, and I'm now saying it as a fact. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's you know step one of our Eurocentric worldviews. We think of cats as different. Right. We think of them as pets, not wild beasts. Yeah. Well, that's right. But before this, the cat had been undefeated for seven years, and this new upstart came along when he was younger, Okonko, and was able to defeat him. Right. Well, the cat does have the advantage of having nine lives. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, that's a bit of fun. (laughs) Uh, By beating the cat, Okonko gained fame and great pride for even as a young man, he always had a chip on his shoulder about his father, who he was very ashamed of since childhood. His father was terrible with money and afraid of the sight of blood. 
To counter this, his son Oconquo dedicated himself to becoming the town's most fearsome warrior, and we learn that he's killed at least five others in battle. We know this because he claimed their heads as tokens and occasionally drinks wine from the first the head of his first kill. Okay, that that sounds like a you know a nice way to drink a wine. <laughs> Hang on, head or skull? Ah, uh, skull. Okay. Okay. Uh, the only way I could think of drinking wine out of a head is you had to kiss it every time. <laughs> you seal up, so... seal up the neck. Pour it in through the nostrils. You put a straw down the nostril. <laughs> Suck it. They out. do call some. Yeah, isn't there a kind of wine called claret? And then they, but people also say spilled a bit of claret as a euphemism for um, spilling blood. It's all connected. Wine is also Jesus's blood. Some in some religions, probably the Jesus ones. Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were going to hear from Christianity in this book, I can tell you that. Uh, Oconquo's father died about a decade earlier, but his legacy, or lack thereof, still spurs his son to work hard and succeed in everything he does. So his father was seen as a real wuss because he didn't like blood and wasn't a warrior. Oconquo has taken that chip on his shoulder and made himself the best warrior I love in the the, town. You know the idea of kids rebelling against their parents? This is the maybe the funniest version of that I've heard. <laughs> Dad, you're a wuss. <laughs> yeah, no. To rebel, I'm going to be hard. Yeah, I'm going to cut people's <laughs> heads off. Well, let me just tell you that Okonkwo is very wealthy and uh, because he is also, as well as a warrior, a very accomplished yam farmer. Do you guys know what yams are? Yeah, I think oh, they're, they're sweet like potatoes. Sweet potatoes? Well, no, I, I didn't know this, but in North America, that's another name for sweet potato. Oh. But in Africa, it's a very common tuba, which is like a... A potato is a type of tuba. So it's like one of their staples. <laughs> yes. You hollow them out properly. <laughs> yeah, the most musical vegetable. So yeah. it's a different kind of potato. Almost. It's a very similar to that so kind the of thing. North, the North American use of yam, is that somehow like a it's some wires got crossed along the way somewhere? Yeah, I think it's probably – I don't know the etymology of the Aren't word. Aren't we here to learn about tubes or tubers? Well, luckily I've got a uh, tuber expert on line one and let me just buzz her in now. Cass, I'm talking about you. Hello. <laughs> Hi, I'm the tuber expert. <laughs> what did you want to know? I want to know um, sweet potatoes. Are they technically tubers? Yeah, well, I think sweet potatoes are totally tubular and I reckon if you mix them into sugar, they can become a sweet food and if you don't, they can, with salt, be not sweet. And I think uh, range is important. Mm. So what you're saying is potatoes are a spectrum. Tubers have in specular range. In specular, spectacular. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much to our tubular expert there. Well, also I'm named Cass. Anytime. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be crossing back to you multiple times throughout the next hour or so. <laughs> thank you. Um, so now we know that. So yam, yams are a big part of their society. It's a, you know, if you have a lot of yams because it's the main crop, you do very well, and Oconquo does well. That's where the phrase wham, yam, thank you, ma'am, comes from. Is that true, Cass? Hi, um, you've called the tube expert again. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I have been watching the tubes, and everyone says wham, yam, thank you, yam, and it's because of yam growing skills. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> Anytime, stay tubey. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, yeah, the tube expert does charge $50 per minute. I don't know if we can keep afford to crossing back to Stay tubey. <laughs> Fantastic. Where are you getting her from? I, I, can you see her on your screen? Yeah, we can see her. She looks confused. 
She looks like she's kind of blagging her way through it a little bit. But I'm confident she, she knows what so she's talking confident. about. Stay chubby. <laughs> so Conqua, he's a great yam farmer, which is a type of chipper. Um, he isn't just providing for himself. Uh, the now accomplished farmer has three wives and ten children in total. <gasps> are they evenly split amongst the wives? Yes, each a three and a third. <laughs> recurring. 3.33 <laughs> recurring childs each. No, they're Childs. not. They're not evenly evenly split because one mother only has one child, and the other two okay. have the other nine between them. I don't know the exact maths on it. Mm. Oh. The other two have four and a half each. Yeah, four and a half. He uh, so Okonkwo feels love for his big family, but never outwardly shows it, as he sees that as a sign of weakness. He fears his sons will be weak like his own father, and he has flashbacks to when he was a boy and another young boy called Okonkwo's father, an Ugbala which is a derogatory term used to describe women and men who have never been given a title in their village. And that's another big part of this society is um, women are seen as quite weak to the men. So they use that uh, sexism a lot throughout the book, basically. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. That Like, he thinks that being tough on his kids will make them tough like him, but his dad being weak is what made him tough. So surely... If you follow that logic, he, should, him, he should really show love to them and fear blood, like his dad. Is that going to be the ending of the book? His dad was tough the whole time. <laughs> Is it going to be a boy named Sue situation? Do you know the boy named Sue, Dave? No, it's a Johnny me. Cash song, and the the story of the song, like the 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 character in the song, is was named Sue by his dad, and he finds out at the end he hated being called Sue, but by the end of the song. He meets his dad and beats him up, I think. And his dad's like, I'm glad it worked. I, I gave you the name Sue so you'd have to be tough and defend yourself. Oh, my God. That is the biggest pullback and reveal since the tequila song when you find out. No, 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 no. When you find out. I'm in the Pina Colada song. I'm in the Pina Colada song. Which also goes. Let's play it on tuba. Tequila. Oh, Cass, you're back. Yeah, well, you were playing it on the tuba. That summons you. Like some sort of a demon. The tubes are calling. <laughs> the tubes, Danny boy. the tubes are calling. <laughs> I play the tuba much like someone plays an old clay jug. <laughs> Never stop playing the jug in the middle of a hoedown. <laughs> so Okonkwo is worried that his sons will be weak like his father. He has this persistent memory of his dad, of people teasing him about his dad not being tough. So... He's especially hard on his sons, especially the oldest one, a boy named Nwoye, who he perceives as lazy. So Okonkwo frequently beats him. Right. So, yeah, poor old Nwoye. He, he has a pretty tough time. Some old school parenting. Very, yeah, very old school. Our main man, Okonkwo, lives in a compound and sleeps in his own hut called an obi, and each of his wives have their own huts and raise their children in them. So that's our main character. Got a big chip on his shoulder, sure, but he's a greatly feared warrior and great farmer in the town. Is greatly the chip on his shoulder made from a yam? Yes, yeah, a yam chip. <laughs> Have you ever had a yam fry? <laughs> that's what he's got. Yeah. And it's pissing him off. <laughs> <laughs> it's constantly burning. It was deep fried. Oh, no, that's so sad. Mm, just sad. He's uh, greatly respected in the town. He's seen as a go-getter. He's going places. He's still pretty young. 
He's, he's seen as a leader, but is expected to one day be probably the most senior member of the village. Right. And again, that adds, he's got a second chip on his shoulder another year. Right. <laughs> because he's, of that. He's a social climber. Well, at least it's evened yes. out. He's got balance. Yeah. Chips on both shoulders gets you through life smoothly. <laughs> I'd love to know the origin of that phrase. That's for another time. I'm not sure. Does the uh, tube expert have any insight into that or. Cass? Hi, thank you so much for asking. So if you're talking about a chip on your shoulder, I think, um, well, expertly, I know, uh, most chips are just potato chips, but if we're looking at yam specific, it actually, it's actually good for you. And um, us at the Yam Council actually recommend having one to two chips on each shoulder <laughs> and then getting a yam-based dipping sauce to go with them, which you can store on the front of your person. Okay. Uh, how, where does one store one on their front? Uh, you have to cup your hands <laughs> oh, <okay>. and carry <laughs> Oh, that sounds like a nightmare. You're permanently cupping dip with, with chips on your shoulder. Yeah, but it's kind of good for you. And because you've got chips on both your shoulders and then you've got dips in both your palms and you're always ready for a party. <laughs> that sounds good for people around you if they're not too concerned about hygiene. <laughs> but I don't. how are you using your hands to get the chips? You have to learn to shimmy. Okay. Well, now that I've now that you've said that, it's obvious. I feel like your answer to every question is you have to learn to shimmy. <laughs> well, it's actually a really close connected dance move of the yam. That's a fun fact. Not a lot of people know that the official dance move of the yam is the shimmy. Oh, I, I did not know that. I'm learning so much about yams today. <laughs> And for $50 a minute, you can keep learning so much about yams Thank you. today. Hang up, Dave. Quick. Oh, my God. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, because Okonkwo is such a feared warrior, he's chosen to give an important message to a local village. Uh, Okonkwo's village, Aguido, was called to a town meeting and were outraged to hear one of their female villagers was visited in this neighbouring village's market. Right. Did I say murdered? I missed so- the word murdered. No, <laughs> I think you missed murdered. <laughs> she was murdered whilst visiting the market. Sorry. <laughs> The, the problem was that she went to the market, she went to a market, and then she was murdered while she was there. Right. That makes more sense as a plot point. Yes, yes, for sure. So n- I'm, now, and I'm sad she got killed, but it does make more sense as to why you mentioned yes, it. Yes, otherwise it's like the village, village like, hey, did you see Susan? She went to the village last week, the other village. That was weird. Okay. Cool, cool, but Sadly, cool. it is more like, hey, did you hear that Susan got murdered in the other village? We should probably take some retribution against that village. So... Okonkwo is is, uh, chosen to give the message to this other village and uh, the message is uh, basically give us an offering to make up for our murdered member or prepare for war. Whoa. Okay, what kind of offering would make up for killing someone? That seems like a setup. Like you could just say no. But you say you could just say no. Well, Aguido, the town that Okonkwo is from, is feared by the other villagers because of their warriors. They're seen as very tough and also their advanced magic. Okay. Is this set? In, is this real world set, or is this real magic? No, this is real world set. Okay, but it's magic. I'm not sure. It's what their their culture believes in this magic. Anyway. Yeah. And uh, the other town, Embino, are so scared that Okonkwo comes over. They say, "We'll give you whatever you want." They end up giving Okonkwo's village a young virgin girl to the man whose wife was murdered, and also a teenage boy. Okay, so they get two humans for the price of one. Yeah, basically, and two eyes for one eye. But they they're both they're both younger, so it's like, does it add yeah. up to the same What's age? What's the maths here? I think the maths is, hey, we'll give you whatever you want to not destroy our village. Okay, and I imagine the person that killed Sally would be pretty unpopular in that town <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, that's right. They've cost their village uh, a young woman and a young boy. 
A Conqueror decides to adopt the young boy whose name is Ikeme Funa. Ikeme Funa. So just to, I'm trying not to say too many of the names because one of the hardest things I, f- I find when reading is I'm really bad any any time of remembering multiple characters' names. Yes. Which is why I don't think I'll, don't know if I'll ever read War and Peace because I think there's about 350 characters. Is there really? But uh, what I found difficult in this is these are non-Western names that I'm not as used to. I, for some reason, I found them harder to remember. So to avoid confusion, yeah, I'm only naming a few people. So, so far, we've got Okonkwo, his son, Nwoye, who's the one that he's mm-hmm. worried about. Yeah, he's lazy. Growing up, growing up and not being tough. And now the new young boy, whose name is Ikeme Funa. Uh, Ikeme is very shy at first and misses his homeland. He's a bit confused. He doesn't really understand why he's been sent to this yeah, other village. Right. Fair enough. But as months go by, he becomes part of the family. He becomes an older brother to Nwoye. And uh, they tell each other many traditional stories. Because he comes from a different village, Ikeme has many stories that his new family have never heard before, which sort, oh, of, cool. sort of shows that even though these villages are interconnected, they have their own sort of subcultures and sub-stories. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ikeme Funa starts to call Okonkwo father. And Okonkwo Aww. even starts to feel a soft spot for the boy. But does he tell him this? I hope not. Absolutely not. What will he learn? That w- if, if, if the father shows the son love, when will the son ever learn? That would be a sign of weakness. Oh. His oh. poor boy. I that know. poor boy's so, been th- through so much. So both <laughs> of the boys, Nwoye and Ikemefuna, help Okonkwo prepare his farm for the yam season ahead but he's very critical and hopes this treatment will turn them into great men and great farmers. So they try their best to, like, sow the seeds, but he's very critical. Right. He, oh. thinks, he thinks tough love is the only way, basically. It's, uh, geez. It's not we kind of know got... now that that's a bad idea, right? Right. They're going to grow up to be not super well adjusted. I've watched a couple episodes of Dr. Phil, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was list- read some stuff about Dr. Phil today. I mean, he's... Obviously not a doctor, but he had his PhD. Yeah. Why is that obvious? It isn't, isn't, is it, did well, he change it by deed poll or something? Or is he a doctor of podcasting or something? It does kind of like you're about to say, it's obvious that he's not a doctor and he's obvious that his name isn't Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Uh, no, Jason. Well, sorry, he's not, he's not a medical doctor. He got his PhD in psychology, but he's not allowed to practice anymore. Right. So, so when his people come onto his show, they have to sign a waiver saying they are just getting advice. <laughs> that they will ignore his advice. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's, this is not, you're not seeing a psychologist. He is not practicing. You are just getting advice from a man. He did do a pretty sweet April Fool's prank last year and uh, made it look like he'd shaved off his mustache when he actually hadn't. That's fun. Did he use the people who made Superman's mustache? Yeah, that's right. He got Henry Cavill's technology <laughs> and got rid of that bad boy. They did a, an entire episode. Uh, Philip. Do you reckon that's his real name? Why would you it's fake all Phil? It's all a lie. It's coming crashing down. I mean, maybe that's he's hiding in plain sight there. He's like, this is, obviously this is real. Why No one would make up their name to be Phil. That's the long con, yeah, baby. that's right. <laughs> it makes you think too hard about it. They, someone at one point said, uh, fill in your name here. And he's like, think quick, think quick. <laughs> in. <laughs> Dr. In, no. <laughs> Wait, Dr. we Phil can do in, better. no. <laughs> he ran out of time. He was writing Dr. Fill in. <laughs> hey there, book cheaters. Just Dave here dropping in to tell you that this week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by ExpressVPN. 
All right, so we all know ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But here's something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available online in other countries. With what's going on at the moment, many of us are stuck at home and it's only a matter of time until you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. But here's a little tip on how you can make Netflix work more for you. This whole week, I've been using ExpressVPN to binge watch Doctor Who on the UK Netflix, despite the fact that I live in Australia, where Doctor Who isn't available on Netflix. Man, I've been watching season one again of the reboot with Christopher Eccleston. Ugh, one of life's great tragedies that he only did one season of Doctor Who. You might be wondering, how the hell do you do that? Well, it is so simple. All you do is you fire up your ExpressVPN app, change your location to another country, UK, for example, you refresh Netflix, and that's it. ExpressVPN does the work for you by hiding your IP address, internet protocol, and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. So you can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries that you can go through. And it's not just Netflix either. It works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, I can get on there. YouTube, you name it. And there are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to, to watch shows is because it's ridiculously fast. You don't get any buffering or lag or anything like that, and you can stream in HD, no wackers. Okay, so let's break this down. If you visit my special link right now at expressvpn.com slash bookcheat, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. You'll be supporting the show, you can watch what you want, and you can protect yourself with ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash bookcheat. One more time, that's expressvpn.com slash bookcheat. All right, I've got to get back to the podcast. And after that, it's back to the main man, Christopher Eccleston. Bye. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey. Hey, Dave, please do go on. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm struggling to remember. Like, I don't read enough books to be able to hold a story in my head. We can't leave it for too long, otherwise I'll reset. Okay. Yeah, I've to said too up. much about Dr. Phil. He's now in the story. <laughs> uh, Okonkwo basically could have his own Dr. Phil episode because he's pretty violent towards his family, being punished for beating one of his wives during a sacred week, and he is in turn punished. The village also has guns, and one day Okonkwo grabs one to go hunting and ends up firing and missing at one of his other wives. So he does not Jesus. treat Jesus. Yeah. I hope that wasn't in a sacred week. No, that was a non-sacred week. Okay, so that's okay? So, well, more okay. Uh, the child he most likes is his daughter, Ezenma. Mm-hmm. Ezenma is the only surviving child of one of his wives, Equifi. Equifi, <laughs> I've never said that name out loud before. Equifi had given birth 10 times, but the children hadn't survived. 10. Oh, That's so man. sad. That's brutal. So she thought she was cursed and went to see the village's priest who only got her to, who she got to perform some rituals. Her daughter, Ezinma, was miraculously born and survived and is referred to in the village as someone who's come to stay as she's made it to 10 years old. But a lot of the children in the village don't make it to 10. Right, come to stay, not like she's a visitor, but come to stay as in come to come 
there permanently. Yeah, that's yeah. Wow. Madge ten. Imagine probably, having a, have needing a phrase for that because infant mortality was so yeah, high. Yeah, it's so high. Ezinmar is a conqueror's favorite child, and he wishes to himself many times throughout the book that she was a boy. Right. And he wishes basically his sons. He, she, he's like, I wish they were like her because she's got the work ethic and right. all that sort of stuff. But the society just doesn't really value women as highly as men or as sons. This is like the 19th century, wasn't it? Yes, it's late 19th century, yeah. Yeah, well, it does, that's it, everywhere. <laughs> and it, it does sound like there's a message in here for him. Like, um, I, I really like how my daughter goes about it and my sons suck. I wish she was a son. Wait, what? But you're saying the sons suck. I know. It's, uh, it's like the equation doesn't exactly add up there. Maybe daughters can be good too. I don't believe that myself, but it's mm. just something that from what he's learnt, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's maybe. something in it. <laughs> we'll see how the book goes, you know. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Akeme Funa, the adopted son, stays with her conquest family for three years. Mm. Now, Yumuofia, which is the collection of villages, has a deep sense of community and is a deeply religious place with a complex system of customs and gods. They have many religious ceremonies throughout the book. They have many superstitions and they follow the oracle who is a person that lives away from the village and advises them all. So they go and speak to the oracle, ask for advice and predictions about things. And they take this advice very, very seriously. One day, a respected elder of the community visits her conquo and delivers him some bad news. The oracle has decreed that his adopted son, Ikeme Funa, must be killed. What? Whoa. Why? Geez, that's a wild amount of power for the Oracle to yeah, have. Yeah, and it, it doesn't really go into the, the exact detail. I think it might be because he's an outsider and has grown up in another village, but they're like, the Oracle says he must die. And the, people just don't question it when the Oracle says this stuff. The Elder tells Okonkwo, the person delivering the message, that he shouldn't be involved in the killing as the boy calls him father. Oh, And you should no. never kill your own son. Ugh, I hope a twist is coming up. Yeah, this is rough. But not wanting to look weak which is his big fear in life, Okonkwo volunteers uh. to be part of the murder. He tells Ikeme Funa, who's the adopted boy, that he is going home to his home village. And Okonkwo's other son, Nuoye, begins to cry because they've become brothers. Yeah. Ikeme Funa and a group of men that he believe are his chaperones walk towards the village. But after they're about halfway there, halfway through their journey, the men attack Ikeme Funa and cut him down with machetes. <laughs> He calls out to his father for help, but oh, again, not wanting gosh. to look weak, Okonkwo strikes him down and finishes the job. Oh, oh So That is heartbreaking. It's yeah. a really brutal scene. Okonkwo returns to the town and is ashamed, not over the killing, but he is ashamed of himself as how he's feeling about the oh. killing. It's hard he's, enough. He's, <laughs> I know, but he's like, I sh- I'm a man, I'm a warrior, and I've been told to do this. I've killed people before. Why do I feel different this time? It's like, mate, it's your son. Holy oh. shit. And he doesn't eat for three days. But the whole time he sort of, he's sort of beating himself internally, being like, why, why, do, you know, why am I feeling like this? Yeah. Yeah, so Okonkwo is depressed. He gets back to work on his farm, which relieves him a little, and he even has a thought where he's like, oh, I was only upset because I had time on my hands to think about that. If I hadn't been so idle, if this had been during the farming season, I probably wouldn't have even thought twice about the killing, Oof. not really realising that everyone would be mentally affected yeah. by having to kill their son. <laughs> it's at this time that rumours of sightings of men with white skin, with skin as white as chalk, begin to circulate. White chalk? White chalk. Yeah, that makes sense. Be interesting if it was skin as white as chalk, but they were talking about like orange chalk. Yeah, 
because it's like it's not really that white at all. It's and orange. It's orange. <laughs> so their word for orange was white. Okay. Does that make <laughs> sense? I'm, I'm following you now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I must say that is the, that's the toughest scene in the book. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad of that because <laughs> yeah. that. I don't want to bring you qu- down. I th- I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. That is full on. Oh, my goodness. There's more than a person can handle. Oh, absolutely. And he's wondering why he's breaking down. A lot of the other chapters are dedicated to little stories of things. So it'll, uh, the way the structure of the book is, it'll be like a couple of chapters about Okonkwo, then it'll just have a snapshot of a, a day in the life of an Igbo person. Like just little stories of the village to sort of hmm. build it up in your mind that it's like a 3D world. Like as I was saying at the start of the book, the, the intro, a lot of the chapters are dedicated to stories of things that happen, like there are religious ceremonies and festivals, a plague of locusts arrive, and they talk about how that happens once every seven years. A dowry is decided upon for an upcoming marriage. A conquest favourite daughter, uh, Ezinmar, gets ill and she recovers. So he, good. he ranks, ranks his children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Favourite daughter. Hope she knows this. Yeah, well, more importantly, the others don't. No, no one knows. No one. He's, it's a secret list in his mind. Yeah, because that way he can torture even his favourites. <laughs> <laughs> Most of you are not my favourites. I'm not telling you which ones, but you know who you are. All of you. Or, well, not all of you, but is it all of you? But mm, some of you. <laughs> think about it. I killed my son. I'll do it again. Oh, no. <laughs> How would that your relationship with your dad be? Does everyone know that he did it? Well, Nwoye, his older son, who was closest friends with Ikemefuna, the murdered boy, when his dad comes home alone, he, he, knows he senses. Away. Yeah. He wasn't told, but he just knows, which is tragic for him too. Yeah. Oh and and the relationship between him and his dad's already pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's... Now he's like, well, you killed my brother and best friend. Oh, dear. Ugh. So what I was trying to basically have a snapshot of... And for anyone who has read the book, I'm just not going through every single event that's listed, but one of the larger events is the whole town is brought together for the funeral of Ezuudu, the oldest man in the village. He was one of the most respected men in the village and he was the elder that told Okonkwo that his adopted son must die. So he's oh, the he was the oracle. No, he, he was... Oh, he the, passed on the message Yeah, from he the went to the oracle and passed uh, on the message. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, you could use the oracle for... So, yeah, the oracle told me that you've got to give me that sausage roll you're eating. Yeah. <laughs> could, could it be misused like that? Or, or could you go to the Oracle and say, did you say that about my sausage roll? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Matt, you want to go back and confirm these kind yeah. of things. You go back to the Oracle, you're like, I don't want to start anything. I really don't. I just <laughs> yeah. wanted to ask. And again, no judgment if you said this, but I just wanted to know for me. <laughs> yeah. Do I have to give up my sausage roll? <laughs> yes. That's fine. Answer and I'll me. do it. Like, I will do it. But I'd rather it came from you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, don't send a messenger. So the oracle, like, he's in a cave and there's like, there's like a line of 20 people lining up. 19 of them are asking about sausage rolls and one's asking them if their son has to die. Does my son actually yeah. have to die? And they're like, well, your question isn't more important than mine. I want to know about my sausage roll. <laughs> we all have problems that begin with an S. Get in line. <laughs> so, so there's a funeral for the, this elder's, you know, to celebrate this elder's life. And to do so, the men beat drums and they fire their guns and they sort of just have this big ceremony. But then there's an accident. Okonkwo's gun goes off and accidentally the bullet discharges and hits the dead man Ezawudu's 16-year-old son in the heart. Oh, no. And the boy dies. Oh. That's a wild accident. Yeah, so he's just, they're just shooting their guns and it just goes, boo, accidentally goes off, shoots this kid in the heart. And it's seen as a very serious crime against the earth goddess to kill a fellow clansman. 
And even though it was an accident, Okonkwo and his family are sent into exile for seven years. I tell you what, Jeez. Klansman has changed meaning over the years. It if you say Klansman really to me out of context now. <laughs> well, thankfully, this has context. Uh, so he's kicked out of the town for seven years. That's the punishment. He moves to a village where his mother was born, a place called Mbanta, which is quite far away. Mm-hmm. And in his absence, as a way to cleanse the crime, Okonkwo's huts are burnt and his animals are killed. Okay. They've just got to basically start again. And he's not allowed to come back for seven whole years. That's so long. That's one. So he's going to miss one of the locust swarms. That's right. He's, he's going to miss a lot of stuff because he was on the way up in terms oh, of right. becoming so an elder in the, the village. St- oh, he's but... back to the start in terms of his uh, well, social climb. Yeah, it's just seven years knock, knocked off the social climb. And the town don't hold any grudge against him. They, Even his friends are involved in burning down the huts. Right. But they just... See it as like you just is, have to do this it. Is how it is, yeah. You have to do this because otherwise we'll offend the Earth Goddess, and then we'll all be punished. Right. So yeah. it is the way. The way it is. That's Mandalorian sort of stuff. I suppose if there's like if you've got something as awful as accidentally killing someone, and there's a set solution to it, you'd all be like, "Cool, <laughs> this will. This is the only thing we can do to make this right." Like, yeah. Imagine if you wanted to kill a villager that you didn't like, and you also wanted a, a seven year getaway. It would be perfect. <laughs> No, I only want a six-year getaway. I'll think about it. So with that big event, that's the end of part one, which is over the first half of the book. Whoa. Whoa. That feels like a whole book. Yeah. So it, that's, that's so a long-ish much. Book? No, that's actually, it's not a longish book. It's only a, a, a couple of hundred pages. Yeah. Wow. So it sets a cracking pace. Yeah. And as I said, I left out a lot of things. Right. So it leaves us on, it leaves us on a cliffhanger. How do we feel about the story? This is good. Well, it's it's a great story, but man, it's making me feel lots of things, and a lot of them are sad. It's a it's a brutal story. There's a lot of you feel for all of them, yeah. probably especially him because he feels like he has to do this, but all, everything he does is bringing pain to the people he loves. Yeah, for sure, and he he, he is conflicted because he, his son that he doesn't like as much, Moya, he starts to become more of a man, and he feels pride in that but he never says it out loud to him it's just like oh mate come on that's so crushing it just it it can't feel nice to not express something like that and i mean that's the least of his problems to be honest yeah i want we're sort of i think like over generations it's trending to for parents to be show more and more emotion and love to their kids Mm. how far does it go like, <laughs> is it eventually going to bounce back again? Like, oh. <laughs> can't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how far how far before they go? Actually, we're probably now showing them a bit. Like, people talk about every generation as well. Like, oh. you're being too soft on these kids is a thing that um, previous generations always think about the next one. Do you ones. think we're going to get to maximum love? Well, I wonder. Can you? I reckon. No, I reckon it's the same thing that happens with, like, in this book. I reckon it'll be... Uh, one generation comes out of it being like, oh, goodness, like, I don't think that did me any favours, even though they have come out having learned the lesson. So they will change the way they do things. Yeah, right. Um, Like, I know uh, there's lots of discussion about um, all that stuff where people like, millennials get handed everything on a platter, they're so entitled, and then it's like, well, that why did you hand it to us then? So I'm sure there will be a generational shift in that. Right. Just... Yeah, what 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 are we getting on a platter as millennials again? There was a whole thing about, oh, kids these days get um, 
like oh, participation uh, trophies for everything yes. and everything they do deserves a reward which i'm sure is a hangover of being like oh okay we're only recognizing people who have some sort of you know, uh, something to show for their struggles, that doesn't seem fair because everyone's experiences are valid and trying is something that should be rewarded over succeeding every single time because that is how you learn, that's how you get better. And then that turns into everyone gets a prize and then that turns into everyone thinks that they should be entitled to a prize. Right. Do you think did that happen to you? Because I... I grew up with a bit of that participation award stuff. I think I was probably around towards the start of it in primary school. Oh, man, and I've I, got a I'm... wall full of participation <laughs> awards. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, I definitely picked up a few of those sort of things, but I I still am fully aware that winning uh, is different to participation. You Getting a participation yeah. award never felt like, yes, I'm a winner. No, like, you still see it that... didn't. <laughs> it really, it felt slightly patronising even back then. <laughs> yep. But, so... Um, yeah, I'm definitely feeling very lucky to have uh, grown up when I did after hearing this story. Not that this yeah. is, oh, a, yeah. this this is, is fiction, me... though, obviously, but... Yes, this is. But it's based somewhat in That's right. a real... And the the cultural stuff is definitely accurate. Yeah. Uh, the, the writer, Achebe, he is an Igbo man himself. Right. But I'm also... Writing 50 years, are, 60 years later. But are yeah. you skipping past any sort of stuff about them living a generally happy life or is it pretty brutal th- throughout? Well, no, they're, they're, they're mostly happy people, but you do get glimpses of stuff that's difficult, like, um, like the locusts come and they make their, their, it hard for their crops or there's lots of death in childbirth and that kind of right. stuff. Right, yeah, there's about. a yeah. lot of hardship. And, yeah. and the fact that, I mean, internally he's just, he's got turmoil going on because he's, mm. he's not... He probably hates himself when he feels happy because that's a soft emotion. Yeah, and... so it, it's difficult, but mm. at the same time, many of the people in the town, if they survive, are prosperous in other ways. Yeah, so so that is the end of part one, which really is the first half of the book, as as I said. Maybe we'll take a little break there and we'll come back with the next episode and do the second half oh, of the book. Cliffhanger. Oh, cliffhanger, cliff notes, cliffhanger. Because, yes, yeah, yes, the cliffhanger yes. is he's accidentally shot a boy and now as punishment, him and his whole family have to leave for seven years. Do we know at this point where he, how far away he has to go? Well, he has to go back to a village called Embana, which is where his mother was born. Right. So, so, he, so it's, not, it's not like he's living out in the wilderness by no, himself. No, so he'll be welcomed mainly because, because it's where his mother's from and he's also a pretty famous guy. So Do they know what he his did? His mother, oh, yeah. They, yeah, they, they will know what he did. But, but they'll be supportive of him, and he'll have rel- he'll have blood relatives there. Yeah, so we'll, so we'll be kind of, in a way. It's kind of maybe it's a little blessing in disguise. But in his heart, he thinks this seven oh. years is going to be a waste because I was supposed I forget, to. Use... I forget how hard on himself. Yeah, he is. I was he had supposed a big to use life his plan. Yeah, mm, he was. Yeah, the life plan was to become one of the great the elders of the village, and now he's thinking, well, this is going to knock me back seven years. And also, I killed a boy. Yes, also he feels bad about that. He does feel bad about it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. And he hates himself And he for can't it. talk about it. Yeah, because oh. that's, that's the other thing is that it's his fault. He can't blame anyone for, for this. Yeah, right. He, and he does take responsibility. He's like, you know, and then, like you said, he beats himself up over it. So He really needs a Dr. Phil type. He needs a heart-to-heart with Dr. Phil. He needs yeah. a legally not clinical d- psychology session. <laughs> and it- He needs a Dr. Phil type character, <laughs> yeah. like an actual practicing yeah, a real Dr. psychiatrist. Phil. There's, a, there's a show out there called Real Dr. Phil. <laughs> yeah. I'd watch that. 
Jeez, I found it so depressing as a kid watching Dr. Phil. Oh, it's hard. D- daytime TV used to suck because uh, there would just, you know, was less channels and stuff and it was all directed at older people. So it would be Dr. Phil and Soapies and that's all it really was. Oh, man, daytimes used to be very depressing. Drama Central. It, really, it helped me not have many sick days at, at primary school, I reckon. <laughs> that's yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to watch this. All right, so we are going to take a, take a break there. Do you have any predictions, though, for what will happen maybe in the second half? I feel like I, you haven't told us if it's a tragedy or a comedy yet. Yeah. And um, if, I'm, I'm starting to doubt it's a comedy. <laughs> I'm guess- the first half isn't very funny. <laughs> I'm guessing this is when the things fall apart. Yeah, geez, they weren't super together. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm wondering if, if he – I'm hoping he has some sort of big revelation that um, maybe you can – uh, show different emotions and it's okay to um, communicate a bit more what you're feeling. But I also have a bad feeling that he's going to somehow die tragically and it's just going to leave me feeling even worse than I do now. Well, that, and that's not the only But it's question. nice to feel something yeah, and, it's, and look at me talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned something already. And uh, I must say that's not the only cliffhanger because uh, the other thing that's hanging over the, the story is that White people were spotted for the first time. Oh, oh right. That, the chalky. That can't so, so go maybe, well. <laughs> so maybe they will form a part of the second half of Things Fall Apart, which we will get to Things Fall Apart 2 and 3. Ooh, looking forward to it. Very key. So Thanks thank, for having us, Dave. Uh, thank you for joining me. You can, we can hear both of you guys podding around the place. Matt, you've got a Do Go On, our other show. Yes, that's right. So uh, when this episode comes out, we would have just done an episode, which was a, you told us this great Interesting story about a con artist. Uh, oh, that's right. I think that, that will come out a uh, day after this. Oh, day after. So a little throw forward, a con artist called Victor Lustig. Stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. And you're also doing uh, Primates? Yes, I did a doubleheader episode last week, two episodes uh, about King Kong, uh, the various King Kong films. It's a, a show all about primates and popular culture. Uh, and in the coming weeks, I'm doing the two most popularly voted for ape uh, topics. Ooh, exciting. Because we're obviously celebrating April, the oh. big ape month. <laughs> <laughs> and I also did a, a podcast, uh, it's 19 episodes long, one for every COVID, and oh. so it's a great lockdown show to listen to. It's a music history show, and we go, th- me, uh, me and my cousin Sam, we go through the back catalogue of Australian pub rock legends, Cold Chisel, and uh, we're talking about what we're going to do for season two now. And that'll be coming out soon. So check that out. Listen now with Matt and Sam. Fantastic. And Cass, we can hear your voice on many podcasts as well. Yes, all across the Sans Pants Radio Network. So if you go to sanspantsradio.com, they're all there. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for joining me again. And hopefully your dreams will come true for part two, Things Fall Apart. Well, uh, some of those dreams that I had weren't positive I meant the part where you hope that he has yeah, a good life. I just, okay, yeah, I really, I really hope that him and his son, even if they don't say it out loud, they can have an understanding that they love each other. Like something happens that they can find their own way to communicate love where everyone feels comfortable. Yes. It's wild how, how invested I am in this fictional character that I'm hearing a summary of the story. <laughs> I'm glad that you... Uh, I want to give this man a hug, but unfortunately COVID-19 does not allow it. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you brought into the story. We'll be back next week with uh, the conclusion to Things Fall Apart. But thanks for listening. Until next week, it's This is the Book Chook saying, Books forever!
Hey book cheaters, Dave here, aka The Book Chook, with you to uh, say thank you very much for downloading this episode. So a big thanks to you for listening to it, but also I've got to thank a few people that made this show possible. First of all, the people that suggested I do Things Fall Apart in the first place. If you want to suggest a book, you remember you can do that at any time by clicking the link in the description of this episode. It takes you to a little Google form. You fill it out, you tell me why I should do a book, and then... Uh, I might do it one day, and then just like this, I'll thank you for suggesting it. So a big thanks to all of these people that suggested I do Things Fall Apart. It was a popular suggestion, and I would like to thank Meredith from the UK in Ellsbury, Tyler Blackery from Gulf in Canada, Michael Robowski in Louisiana, Stefan Rusinak from Naples in Florida, Leon from Melbourne, Brock Gabbett from Grand Rapids in Michigan, Megan Reef from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, Tabitha Post from right here in Melbourne, and Trevor A. from Fort Worth, Texas. Thanks for all those legends. I really appreciate that you suggested I do this. I think I was with uh, Cass here. I hadn't really heard much about this book before, so you've opened my eyes, and uh, it's great to do a bit of African literature on the podcast. Obviously covered a lot of uh, English writers and American writers so far on the show, so there's uh, people from different parts of the world that you think fit the classic book or play category. Yeah, you can uh, fill it out now. I'm thinking of... Uh, Maybe doing some Gabriel Marcia Marquez sometime soon. Haven't done any uh, South American writers yet. So very much uh, thank you to those people. I'd also like to thank you if you are a supporter of this show on Patreon. People can support the show at patreon.com slash pod, And it's called slash pod because the other podcasts I do with Matt, who you heard on this episode, and the fantastic Jess Perkins, who we've also heard on many Bookshed episodes, we host a podcast called Do Go On which is a, it's a comedy slash history podcast where we talk about people or events or places or things. It's very broad. And uh, we take it in terms to re- report to the other two on a topic often suggested by a listener. And uh, this show is a spin-off of that podcast, which Dugan's been going for nearly uh, four and a half years now. And uh, yeah, if you support this show, you'll also be supporting Primates, Matt's podcast on primates in popular culture. Listen Now, Matt and his cousin Sam's podcast on uh, music. And, of course, do go on and book cheat. You get bonus rewards, like I announce all these books in advance so you can read along if you like. I'll give you a shout-out. We're also doing now three bonus episodes of Do Go On per month starting next month in May. So, yeah, a lot of exclusive stuff to unlock and also the knowledge that you are helping me do this show, pay for the books, and, uh, yeah, set aside some time to read and write about some fantastic works. And I also like to uh, shout out to people that support the show. And uh, they tell me their favorite book, and uh, I tell you about that. So first of all, this week, I would like to thank, supporting the show on Patreon, Craig Mowat, or Mowat, M-O-W-A-T, Craig Mowat. Thanks so much, Craig, uh, who's written in to say, I think one of my favorite books has to be The Hobbit. It was introduced to me by my grandfather at a very young age, and I like to think it kick-started my epic love of all things fantasy to this day. It holds a special place in my heart and always reminds me of him. Craig, that is very, very nice. My grandfather was also a big fan of Tolkien and uh, definitely imparted the love of fantasy onto my mum that way. She wanted to be a librarian, so a yeah, very influential writer, Tolkien. And Craig, love that you think of your grandfather when you pick up The Hobbit. Jacob Miller has also supported this show and has said, it's already mentioned before, but Dune is my favourite book. 
I'm a sociologist and decided to go into the field because of Dune and the way it deals with social structures and human relationships. Wow. I've always heard it described as a heavy book, but I've always found myself flying through it. Wow, there you go. Jacobs also said, on a side note, I'm currently in the, currently in the process of trimming down my library. I used to have over 7,000 books, and now I'm almost down to a single bookcase. I finally caved to the digital format. Wow, 7,000. My aforementioned grandfather used to have about four or 5,000, and I know that that took up a lot of his house. So 7,000, wow. Jacob, and now it's all on one Kindle or iPad. <laughs> all right, thanks so much for supporting the show. Uh, Didier Becerra, or Becerra. Probably uh, Becerra, Didier Becerra. My favorite book ever is La Ciudad de las Bestias by Isabel Allende. What does that mean? The City of Beasts? Let me Google that. Yeah, City of Beasts. There you go. Isabel Allende, Chilean writer. My mom uh, helped me fall in love with the storytelling world. This was the first book she gave me out of her personal collection. Isabel Allende is her favorite writer, so this was really special. Love that. I love that people have these emotional connections to these classics. Uh, thank you so much to Didier. Chris Brockett, my favorite book, is definitely The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. It's said to be the greatest haunted house story ever told. And as a fan of horror, I have to agree, Jackson has you hooked from the very first page and keeps you on the line all the way up to the ending. Maybe you could cover this on a book cheat sometime. Maybe I will. I've been thinking about doing uh, Shirley Jackson's very famous short story, The Lottery, which I read back in my uni days and definitely stayed with me. <laughs> so, but maybe The Haunting of Hill House. Chris, will I be able to sleep at night? I've got to tell you, I'm not very good with horror. So, if I have nightmares, I will be blaming you. But thanks for supporting the show and also to Rob Smith. My favorite books are War of the Worlds. It's a classic and inspired a great musical too. The other is Mick Foley's first biography, Have a Nice Day. I was a WWF fan back in the day, so that would appeal to me too. Uh, Back to Rob's words here. Not considered a literary classic, but the best autobiography I've read. There you go. Rob Smith, thank you so much. Uh, My favorite wrestler back in the day, probably it's got to be the man, the magic, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Love his work. All right, finally to Hannah McAfee. Thanks for writing in, Hannah. Thanks for supporting the show. Hannah's written, My favorite book is The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole. I've read it many times and it still makes me laugh out loud. Love it. Love something you can keep coming back to. It's still good. So thanks, Hannah. Thanks to Rob. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to Didier. Thanks to Jacob. Thanks to Craig. And thanks to everyone that supports the show on Patreon. If you would like to be read out with your favorite book, you can do so at patreon.com slash pod. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get to your name soon. And if you'd like to suggest a book, again, there is a link in the description of this episode. That is the end of part one of Things Fall Apart. We'll be back with Matt and Cass on the conclusion to this epic African novel. But until then, thank you so much for listening to the show. And I'll say, and I imagine you'll be yelling this wherever you are in the world, books forever! This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.